Today on Abounding Grace, we place the gift of giving under the spotlight and learn a thing or two from the ultimate giver, Jesus Christ. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Hi there, and welcome again to Abounding Grace, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Aurora. Pastor Ed Taylor is in the middle of a series on the Holy Spirit, and right now we're paying close attention to the seven primary spiritual gifts found in Romans 12. Today we come back to the gift of giving. We've learned already that this gift is all about supporting the truth. We'll discover today that Jesus and some in the early church displayed this gift in tremendous ways. And there's also some dangers to be aware of if this is a gift you have. With more, here's Pastor Ed. Now, we're, we're following the same pattern in all our gifts. We looked at the definition. Now, number two, where did it operate in the life of Jesus? Well, let me just say this. The entirety of Jesus' life, the Son of God taking on a human body, coming down to serve us, is one of giving. Jesus, you could say, is, was, and will always be a giver. He is not a taker, but a giver. And at great sacrifice, as Jesus himself gives us the model for giving, that he gave up, he gave and gave and gave until he had nothing left to give, dying on the cross for your sins and mine. Great sacrifice. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus speaks of coming here. He say, he's, he's discipling us and teaching us. And he says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve, and you remember the end, and give my life a ransom for many. Jesus is a giver. And I would say that every true follower of Jesus Christ is also a giver. That you don't have to have the gift of giving in order to be a giver. I would even say it in the negative just so that the Lord can use it in your life. If today, right now, you are not a giver, you are not truly following Jesus Christ. Because if you were, you would have his heart of love and giving. And I don't just mean in the church. Please don't misunderstand me. I would even, you know, when it comes to giving in the church, that's easy. That's actually one of the easiest things that God has given us to do. It's not hard. You look at your check, you know, hey, what do you want to do? Let's give this. We write a check, put it in. That's not hard. Or we set up automatic payment. That's not hard. We go online to the website. That's not hard. There's a lot of other things in our relationship with the Lord that are very, very difficult. And yet, because of our culture, because of the pressure, because of overwhelming consumer debt, because of school loans and the way our system works, it's, it's really hand, handicapped people from being faithful in their giving. Not just to church. Because if you're not faithfully giving in church... Like, that's the first part. That's what Jesus says. Giving of your tithes and offerings unto the Lord. And the pattern of that is all throughout the scriptures. We'll see by the time we end today. But, but also your heart to give to your neighbor. Like, if you're not loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you're really not going to be so carefully seeing the need that your neighbor has or the need that your mom has or the need that your enemy has or the Bible says give to those, even those that persecute you. Bless them. Like, if you're not a regular giver when it comes to the easy parts, what makes you think the harder parts are going to be any easier? 
And that's true in every area of life. And, and a lot of times when people come in with great difficulties, the discussion will turn around to your giving. And that will often be a root of bitterness in your heart, a root of difficulty. Well, I don't give because I don't like it. I don't give, I don't like Look, God has given to you, so the Lord wants you to be a giver. First, the easy part, to give to your church, and then the harder part, to have your heart open. Jesus is a giver. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. I mean, Jesus was and still is a giver. He has given not only his self-sacrificially, but he's given to us the greatest gift that we could ever receive, and that's the forgiveness of our sins. And he still gives that. It's still extended. Some of you need to repent of your sins today and ask the Lord to forgive you because God is extending that gift to you today through his son, Jesus Christ. Operating in Jesus is very easy to see. It's also easy to see in the early church. Turn over to Luke chapter 8, and let's see this operating in the early church. Luke's gospel, chapter 8, and it really started with Jesus, the followers of Jesus. If you think about Jesus for a second, this is God in human flesh. He has every resource available to him, And yet at the same time, God raises up people alongside of him to support him financially. What what a humbling thing in Jesus' life that he and his ministry were supported financially by people like you and me. And that's what it says here in Luke chapter 8. Notice verse 1. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities... Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided from, for him, notice, from their substance. These women had resources, and they gave them to Jesus and the disciples, and we know that Jesus used them because the number one betrayer to ever walk the planet Earth, what was his name? Judas. Judas. You haven't heard any kids at the mall. You haven't heard any mom in the mall say, Judas, come back here, have you? I mean, he has such a bad reputation. Nobody's naming their kids Judas. I haven't heard a Judas or a Jezebel. Hey, little Jezebel. No, no way. She has a bad reputation. And Judas, the number one betrayer, what was his role and position with Jesus? He held the money box. Of course they used resources. And where did those resources come from? Women like this, faithful givers. Let me give you another one. You don't need to turn here. But in Acts chapter 16, we were introduced to a woman by the name of Lydia. Paul met Lydia. And when Paul met Lydia, she was a successful businesswoman. It says that she was a seller of purple. That doesn't mean much to us unless it's explained. But purple dye was very rare and very expensive to get. And she was, uh, that was her business. And so she was very successful. And many scholars and commentators believe that it was because of her resources that she continued to support Paul on the mission field and help plant the church in Philippi, of which today you and I get the blessing of reading the book of Philippians. Why? Because God touched Lydia's heart to give, and she gave generously. So if you have the gift of giving, your heart is touched, and you give generously. You give regularly. Now, like all spiritual gifts, our last part today... The gift of giving has its own dangers, its own risks, things of temptations that are specific to a person with the gift of giving. Let's go through them. And then I got a few general things about giving before we end in a time of worship and waiting on the Lord. Number one, here's danger number one. No particular order. 
But danger number one for the person with the gift of giving is that you may have a temptation or a tendency to take ownership of things. The danger is to think that what you have is yours, that it all belongs to you. So in some cases, you've worked very hard for it, and you work very hard for it, so your mind, you think you own it. And because you think you own it, when you give it, you then want to dictate And you want to tell people what to do because it's your money after all. It's not true. It's not your money. It's not my money. Everything that I have belongs to the Lord. He's given me the ability to study. He's given me the ability to think. He's given me a body that's healthy. He's given me everything that I possibly have. Nothing that I have hasn't come from the Lord. Now, I remember when I was born. Do you remember when you were born? Now, I don't don't remember it like I was there, looking at coming into the world like that. But I did see pictures. And yes, my parents did one of those naked pictures of me. And that's how I came out of the womb. I had nothing. I bet you if you look through your pictures, you got one too. The doctor would say that it came out with nothing. You didn't have like a million dollars out of your ear or, you know, come out with a hat or, you know, Nike shoes on you. You came out with nothing. So what that tells me is that everything I have, including life, comes from the Lord. It belongs to him. It doesn't belong to me. When I give... I'm simply giving to what God has already given me. Yeah, maybe I worked hard for it, but God gave me the strength to work hard. And yeah, maybe I went to school and got my master's or my PhD. Yeah, but God gave me the wisdom and the ability and the tenacity and the resources to go to school. And yeah, maybe I aced that interview, but God gave me the rapport with the person that was interviewing me that I got the job. Like, it all comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from us. So be careful, you givers. Be careful that you think you own everything. You don't. You don't. And I know this for a fact. There isn't any one of us that's going to take anything with us when we leave this planet. We came here with nothing, and we're leaving with nothing. Number two, another danger of those that give, especially within the church, is you try to be, you're tempted to be heavy-handed in the church that you give. Because you feel like you're, quote, footing the bill for all the things in the church, you may feel that you should be in full control of the ministries that you support. But you still need to respect the spiritual leadership that the Lord has established in your local congregation. Remember, it's not our money, but it's God's money. And through His Spirit, He prompts us to give unto Him through others. Now, although this this gift is given to both those with little money and with a lot of money, and we know that to be true, it's not the amount that you give that matters. Really, it's your heart before the Lord. Why? Because Jesus was watching those two give, the widow and the publican, the, the rich guy, and when they were coming to the temple giving, the publican gave out money. Doo, 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 look what I gave, so much. When in reality, he was only given a little portion of what he had. And the widow, she dropped a few pennies in the offering. And Jesus said, look at that. Look at that. Look at those pennies. Look at those. The, the, those are, the, look at that. That, that the woman, she gave out of everything. So it's not the amount. It's not the amount. It's the heart of the matter. You see, being materially prosperous doesn't necessarily mean you're spiritually prosperous. Giving large sums of money to the work of God doesn't necessarily qualify you for spiritual leadership, nor should it give you some kind of fleshly leverage in the church. Just be a servant, following the Lord. Do what God's called you to do. And don't expect anything in return. Don't expect some pat on the back. Don't expect anything but just to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind and exercise your gift. Here's another one, number three. A person with the gift of giving might be tempted and overtaken by pride. 
by pride. I mean, that's a temptation for all of us, but it's unique to giving in the sense that it's a danger that you need to avoid that you give to be recognized. Or you give so that you can say, yeah, you know, I, I, I helped build that church. Okay, you probably did. But it was between you and the Lord, wasn't it? But now you're getting all prideful. You said, well, I did that. Well, you know, ultimately the Lord, he moved you, gave you, blessed you, and you just cooperated with the Lord. But pride, we can get really prideful. And if you've been at Calvary for long enough, you know that we don't make a big deal about giving here. We don't make a big deal about giving. Um, There has been a policy in place since the very beginning of our church, and that's simply this. I don't know who gives here. I don't know if you give, and if you do give, I don't know how much you give. I don't know what your giving record is. I don't know what your practice is. I don't know anything about that. Not only, is it, not only do I not know, but even if I wanted to know, I don't have any access to that computer. I don't know the password. I don't, have, I, I don't have the ability to do that. We would only do that if we needed to by a board approval, the elders that oversee me. That's the only way it could happen. That I purposely done that because I don't, I don't want to know. Because that would be a temptation for me. If you gave a lot, it's like, oh, oh, oh brother... You still like me? You still like us? Woo, brother. You know, the air conditioning is going out. Forget that stuff. The Lord will provide it. Or if you give little, and I look down on you, oh, you know, you don't give anything. But I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's happening financially in your life. I don't need that. I don't want that. I want to have a relationship with you where I can serve you no matter what. That It really makes no difference to me whether you give or not. I mean, it does in the sense that I want you to be spiritually right with the Lord. I, I, I say that. But personally, I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to serve you no matter what. If, if the church ever got into a dry spell and we all, you know, the giving dried up and we had nothing, you know what we as pastors will do? We'll go back and get a job like we did when we first started. We all were working when we first started serving here. We'll get a job. We'll provide for the needs of our family. And we will keep serving you just like we did before. That's our commitment. Everyone that comes on staff, that's, we, that's the discussion I have in my office. Is your heart right? Because serving here can never be about money. Never. And when it does become about money, it's going to be very difficult. So be careful that you're not overtaken by pride. Just as you give unto the Lord, allow your heavenly Father to bless you. Don't give here thinking we're going to put your name up on the wall. This wall provided by the blank family. And you're like, that wall doesn't have a name, honey. What do you think? Can we get our name up there? No, you can't. If you look around, there are no names on the wall. You can walk in when you come in, and when you come into a service, it's going to say there's some attribute about Jesus. His name's on the wall. We want to point people to the Lord, but you can't give and then like put a little plaque on the chair. This is my chair. Well, how's your chair? Because my name's right there. It's not for attention. We're not going to bring you up and clap and go, hey, we have a giving contest. And this year, this is the family that gave the most. And they really blew the other family out of the water last year. So I hope next year you really try to, no gimmicks or anything like that. You want to give, give unto the Lord. You don't want to give, I'm sorry for you, man. I'm going to feel bad for you. And we'll be here when you fall down. We'll pick you up. But it's not going to go well for you if you have a heart that doesn't give. I'm just telling you right now. God's got to deal with your heart in that matter. Number four, if you have the gift of giving, another danger is you can be taken advantage of. Givers tend to be taken advantage of. First of all, we see that happening on televangelists where they'll look in the camera and they'll say, you 
sitting on the brown couch. And you're like, whoa, honey, we got a brown couch. And if you just sow seeds on ministry, my faith will become your faith. And there's only one response to that. Click. And if you really want to have fun, write the 800 number down. And the guy says, if you sow a seed into my ministry, you're going to get a hundredfold increase immediately. So just write your check. You don't have the money, put it on your credit card. Write down what they say. Call up the 800 number. Bring, bring. Hello, this is the ripoff televangelist. How can I help you? <laughs> They'll never say that. But and you go, hey, I was watching on TV so-and-so, and they talked about all this seeds and multiplying. Is that true? Yes, sir, it's true. Yes, do it. Really? You mean if I sow, then I'm going to... Yes. I mean, that's a spiritual principle. It works for everyone. Yes. Well, I have a deal for you. Why don't you write me a check for $1,000? Because I'm really in need right now. And let God multiply that in your ministry. And you know what you're going to get? Click. doesn't work like that. It's because it doesn't work at all. It's a lie. And people get... You know, we're laughing about it, but real people really get hurt. I think of my parents in their older age. All they did was flip through the channels. Sick. On Social Security. Wondering about what's happening next. And they hear somebody that has some kind of word of encouragement thinking, you know, just maybe. Because they love the Lord. My parents loved God before they graduated into heaven. And, but they were just there. They really had nothing to do in those latter years. And they wouldn't move out here with us. And, and so we, they were just there, just clicking through and just thinking how many people have been taking advantage. If that's you, if you've been taking advantage in the past, it's kind of closed your heart to giving. Listen, you gave unto the Lord. God will bless that. Let God sort it out with those guys. You don't need to worry about it. You let the Lord, and just don't do it again. Now you've learned. Don't do it again. Don't it, take advantage of again. But you know that your giving is under the Lord, so continue to open your heart to be a giver. But it's not just televangelists. And by the way, if you're a pastor listening in and that's your kind of ministry and you're listening to the radio right now, no matter what state you're in, listen, I have two words for you. Stop it. Stop it. Stop taking advantage of people for your own personal gain. It's not about filthy lucre, the ministry. Stop it. But I can say this too. Givers tend to get taken advantage of in the church too. There are wolves among us, unfortunately. We as pastors really do our best to try to take care of that and we get a wind of it and, you know, we don't mess around with that kind of stuff. But sometimes people sneak in and they take from you and then they take from you and then they take advantage of you and that happened at church and then your heart is broken, then you're hurt. And listen, just walk in discernment, walk in wisdom and pray before you give. Pray so you're not taken advantage of. Those are all dangers. Uh, There are many more, um, but there are... Five more things I want to talk with you before we worship. Ready? Because giving in general. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I have found over the years that more people have the gift of mercy and more people have the gift of teaching, more people have the gift of exhortation than people with the gift of giving. It's still a gift you can ask for. It's still a spiritual gift that you can pray for. It's still a spiritual gift that that you can participate in and ask God, God, I want a giving heart. But for most of us, in our giving, it's not really a spiritual gift. Like for me, I love to give. That, that is, it's not my primary spiritual gifting, but that's how I communicate. That's how I communicate appreciation. That's how I communicate. I just love to give. I, I love to appreciate. I love, like Marie, like when I met Marie, even before I was saved, when I was pursuing her, um, I would give her stuff. 
I don't even know how I got all this stuff, but I would just give her and give her. I'd give her flowers. I'd give her stuffed animals. I'd get her whatever she, whatever I could do to make myself stand out from anyone else, I would do with her. I could even, I had access to her locker. I could even open her locker, put a rose in there, and then close it up, and she would come. And she was a little creeped out by that, but that, <laughs> that, that's a Bible study for another day. But I'd give her, and, and you know, after we got married, and after we got saved, there's a great book, by the way, you married couples. It's called The Five Love Languages. And sometimes that love language, you have a love language to express, but your spouse doesn't have the same one to receive. So after we got married and later on, Marie told me, you know, Ed, I appreciate all the gifts, but like, I really don't want them. They really don't do anything. And I told her, man, why didn't you tell me that years ago? You would have saved me a ton of money. (laughs) But this is, and, and so over the years, she goes, you know, I don't want flowers. Listen, men, this is a side note between you and me. Ladies, put your fingers in your ears. Listen, if some gal tells you they don't want flowers, don't listen to her. Get the flowers anyway. Just want to let you know. Costco has good deals all the time. Flowers. That doesn't have to be a million dollars. Don't you cut the flowers on the flower beds here. You can't have those. Don't you do that. But but, you know, I would give, even in our marriage, I still, I mean, I just love to give. That's how I express love. That's how I express myself in giving. And, but you know, Marie, it doesn't work for her. You know how she wants my love expressed to her? She wants me. I, would, I, I could get her flowers and candy and everything, and, and it won't mean much to her. But you know what would mean much to her? If I would just mop the floor. What kind of person likes that? And, and if I would just mop the floor, so, you know, I come in with candy in one hand and flowers in the other, and just, here you go, babe. And she says, why don't you just mop the floor for me, Ed? And I go, because my hands are full, obviously. <laughs> but for most of us, we don't have the gift of giving, but we are givers. We love to give. And well, in 1 Corinthians 16, in verse 1, it says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must also... On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. We have five principles here about giving. Number one, when you're giving, determine to give no matter what your income is. Determine to give and make a commitment. There's really nowhere in Scripture where God releases us from this vital area of obedience. And notice in verse 1, it was an established practice in the early church of giving to the ministry. Just like those would come in the Old Testament, giving to the temple to support the priests, we also give to the Lord through our local church, and it was a practice in the early church. Number two, giving is an individual matter. It says in verse two there, let each one of you, now I know in marriage you're one, so you have to agree in marriage, of course, but sometimes the Lord just speaks to you individually about giving, and you want to be obedient to that. So giving is individual. Thirdly, giving is a private matter. We've touched on that a little bit already, but when you and I give, it's between me and the Lord. He doesn't want us to know, our left hand to know what our right hand is doing. And that's why we have offering boxes around, so you can give unto the Lord. Number four, plan and predetermine what you will give. It says, notice in verse two, that they were to give on the first day of the week. They were to lay aside something. So our giving shouldn't be sporadic. It shouldn't be unplanned. It shouldn't be just what we have in our pockets. Because if it was that, then we'd never have anything in our pockets. It shouldn't just be, well, maybe I should. Believers should give regularly, spirit-led, prayerfully, and not emotionally. We shouldn't give emotionally or impulsively. And then fifthly, we should give proportionately. That's what it says in verse 2. Storing up as he may prosper. 
That's why the amount could be different for all of us because it will be given in proportion to what God has entrusted to us. This is Abounding Grace with our Bible teacher and pastor, Ed Taylor. To give this study on the Holy Spirit a second listen, all you need to do is call and request a CD copy. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or go online to calvaryaurora.org. Again, we're at calvaryaurora.org. Do you, like so many, have questions about why God allows difficult things into our lives? Or maybe you're mourning a loss or just want a clearer picture of God's heart for those in pain. If so, The Prisoner in the Third Cell by Gene Edwards is a must-read. In it, the author explores the life and death of John the Baptist. You'll look at the seemingly unfairness of John's situation in prison and the heart of God in the midst of it all. And we'll gladly send you a copy for a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Thank you for remembering us in your prayers and giving to the Lord. Your gift, large or small, will serve to help us reach thousands with the message of Christ. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. Tomorrow on Abounding Grace, we'll give attention to the gift of leadership as Ed Taylor returns to his series on the Holy Spirit. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel Aurora.